What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Crowd Noise Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Martinez. On July 25th, 2019, it is a Thursday today, and a very cozy one at that. It's a real nice and warm day. It's not incredibly hot. It's not cold, definitely. It's July 25th, but it's not um, blistering heat. It is very comfortable, and I have a very high threshold from warm, for warm weather, so it's probably extremely hot for most people, but for me, it's it's uh, it's napping weather. I'm actually pretty tired. It's uh, really really cozy out here. But anyway, we do have a uh, fantastic show for you today. We are one week ahead of the MLB trade deadline, which is next Wednesday. That'd be July 31st, the last day of July. Um, so this is our last episode before. This is the last chance we're going to have to talk about, I guess, the first half of baseball, a little bit over the first half, um, kind of. Talk some of the guys who are on the trade uh, trading block. Uh, some rumors where teams uh, can improve. We'll be doing some MLB a little bit later in the show today. And then next week, of course, we're going to be recapping everything that happened from the previous day, which would be August 1st, August 1. We'll be recapping the MLB trade deadline, which takes place on July 31st. So we have that to look forward to for next week. Um, for today, for the rest of today, we have some summer basketball news, which is always fun. Uh, summer basketball may be more fun than regular than regular season basketball because there's so many. I mean, we're done with free agency, we're done with the trades, we're done with all that stuff. But that we are never done with the drama, with the stories in the National Basketball Association. There are plenty of players. Dropping out of Team USA for the FIBA World Cup, which I'm not too excited about. I cannot lie. Um, I, I am pretty uh, disappointed. As a basketball fan, I am pretty upset because I always look forward to every year during, or not every year, but every four years uh, during the World Cup and every, however, I don't pay attention uh, to international soccer very much, but uh, Team USA gets smashed. Every single uh quad year I guess you could say every four years when the World Cup rolls around Team USA is this big laughing stock Team USA is like the Duke of international sports they're really the best we know we're the best and everyone hates us for that and I say us as being a U.S. citizen I, I go for Team USA I make no bones about it I'm all Team USA all day and people really take advantage of Team USA during the soccer tournament. So I wait patiently. I salute our competitors in the World Cup and in the Olympics, obviously, during soccer. Because Team USA is terrible. The men's. Team USA soccer team, the men's team, is absolutely horrendous. You can make an argument they're not better than Horizon High School soccer team. They are really that bad. However... When that time rolls around, the only thing that's on my mind is just wait till basketball season. I love watching Team USA basketball because it's an absolute joke. It is hysterical watching Team USA basketball compete against they're not even compete is is actually a disrespectful term because it's not a competition. Um it's funny to see Team USA humor the other country's basketball teams. And this year, Team USA is not only not unstoppable, they are quite vulnerable because many players are dropping out. So I'm kind of disappointed, especially after this last World Cup. Team USA didn't even make the cut. They didn't qualify. So everyone, and then they lost recently, for I guess, for the next World Cup. Again, I don't really know much about soccer. Um, they lost to Team Mexico, I, 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 I guess, the, this last uh, friendly or, or qualifying match. So everyone was clowning on Team USA. And I said, just wait until the FIBA World Cup and wait till next year for the Olympics. And now all of a sudden it looks like we may not even win that. So I'm pretty disappointed in that. Um, some college football stuff. We have some more college football. This isn't even really a story. This is entirely opinion-driven. Uh, ESPN the other day had a... Not a poll, but they were doing kind of like, I can't even come up with the correct word because they weren't studies. Again, this is somewhat opinion-driven on the position you schools. So basically, who is running back you? Who is quarterback you? Who is wide receiver you? This, that, and the other. So they did that. I, I kind of disagreed with 
most of the, their decisions, but they did list the criteria, which I appreciate. I hate when you people you see people like on Instagram and stuff like that rank just the best shooting guards or whatever they did. They have their rankings and they don't list criteria. Like give me the criteria and then, and then we'll go off of the list. The list was based off of recruiting since 1998. And I said, okay, that makes a lot more sense because USC was ranked as quarterback U and wide receiver U, which on paper I would disagree with. Quarterback U as of very recently has been Oklahoma, uh, Baker Mayfield. Uh, you know, they're, they've had more talent in the NFL. More, they have, they've had longer lasting talent in the NFL uh, recently. Sam Bradford, now he's not a star, but he is a starter in the NFL, played at Oklahoma, and USC quarterbacks historically have been horrendous in the NFL. Don't even get me started on Matt Liner. So I didn't agree, disagree, I, uh, I disagreed with that choice, but as far as the criteria of recruiting that since 1998, it makes sense because USC pulls in at least one five-star quarterback in recruiting every single uh, offseason. So that made sense. Uh, wide receiver U, I would say, is LSU or Clemson. I would definitely throw into that conversation. LSU or Clemson. I'd probably lean more towards Clemson because they have a uh, higher quantity. They have DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, uh, Martavis Bryant, who is currently unemployed, but he, when he's on the field, he, he's a monster. So, uh, And LSU has uh, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. And then running back U, I believe, was Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. USC historically is, is running back U. You go all the way back to, to Marcus Allen, OJ Simpson. I mean, you, can, you just... You can't you can't count on your on your hands how many legendary running backs have gone to USC, but it's it's it was based off recruiting since 1998, um, and so with that they did all the position U schools. They had an interesting Final Four bracket. It was like a college football bracket. Who is the best NFL football factory? And it was Miami. And it wasn't these were the schools. It was Miami. It was Ohio State. That was in the first semifinal. And then the other bracket, it was Alabama, and it was USC. And they didn't fill out the bracket. They didn't say, this, this is the best school. They, of these four teams, they said, answer in the comments, who is the best NFL football factory? And I went into the comments section, which was my first mistake. Because if anyone, if, if you are between the age of 15 and 28, you know the comment section of any social media outlet on the internet is some of the most toxic environments you could ever in- engage yourself in. So I should have never even jumped into the comments in the first place, but it did pique my interest. And I couldn't, I saw so many people wrong. It, I had to take a step back. It almost made me feel as if though I were wrong. And so I will go ahead and address that later in the show. Who is the best NFL football factory it's not who you think, because the majority of people have like a decisive uh, first pick, and they're wrong, and we'll go ahead and talk about that later, and the quote of the week, always close out, close out the show with that, we got a good one this week, I, I uh, strongly disagree with this quote of the week, but that's what makes it so uh, unique, is, uh, you know, I'm going to have my own opinion on it, and it's from someone who I have a lot of respect for, but I could not disagree anymore with this quote of the week, so... Uh, that's, that's our, going to be our show. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Let's start with the basketball. Then we'll move into the trade deadline and then we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Many players have dropped out of the FIBA world cup, uh, this summer. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's starting to look like the players that aren't, if you got a roster of the players who have dropped out, that would decisively beat the roster of players who are still either on the fence or will play in the tournament and team watching team usa basketball specifically is one of my favorite things to watch in all the sports i don't get an opportunity to see it very often because the fiba world cup which is the basketball edition of the fifa world cup fifa's football or football and fiba is basketball and they have their world cup ahead in between the Olympics, like the FIFA World Cup is two years in between the Olympics, and as is uh, the FIBA World Cup. But they're both spaced out four years uh, away from each other. So I don't get to see it very often, Team USA Basketball, but I do enjoy it. And this summer, 
a lot of players are bowing out. They're saying, I don't want to participate. It's a distraction. I want to get focused. I want to get integrated on my new team. I want to get integrated with my teammates. I want to focus on our championship mission. And as a fan, this it's not infuriating. I'm not, this isn't typical crowd noise. I'm throwing my arms in the air like Kermit the Frog. I, but I am upset. This, this does kind of disappoint me as a basketball fan. I want to see all these guys play together. Team USA is better than the All-Star Weekend. Number one, because they're actually playing. They are playing for something meaningful. They're playing for a spot in the Olympics if it's a FIBA World Cup, or they're playing for a gold medal if they're in the Olympics. Something that can, I think it means a lot to NBA players because basketball isn't considered one of, I guess, the quote-unquote traditional Olympic sports. Or rather, it's not a sport that is only played in the Olympics. Like Michael Phelps, when's the last time you saw him on TV? Last Olympics. Usain Bolt, when's the last time you watched him on TV? It was during the Olympics. So those guys expect to win gold medals because they're Olympians in the more traditional sense, I guess, you, I guess you could say. I'm not trying to take away anything from our NBA players, absolutely not. But what I'm trying to say is you don't see them in the Olympics, it feels quite as often because their sport isn't one that's garnered as a traditional Olympic sport. So those guys are playing hard. They're trying to win a gold medal. So that's number one. The effort and the intensity, they are out there playing to win. Number two, they're better than the all-star teams. Because the all-star teams are separated between conferences. East Conference and the Western Conference. Western Conference. I got stuck between West I got stuck between saying Western and West Coast. It's the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. They're separated. Team USA is all the best players in the league on one team, and therefore all the best players on planet Earth on one team. So it's very exciting to watch as a basketball fan, and I know I'm not, I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. Team USA is so much fun to watch. You only get them once every four years. And players are bowing out at really alarming rates. Maybe not so much alarming, but very quick rates it's like a domino effect once one guy drops out everyone is dropping out and for a while we had gotten some pretty consistent participation from nba stars it started around 2008 uh, is when we this is when we got this newest era of particip- participation it seemed like players started to care about team usa basketball it seemed like players wanted to play for Team USA and wanted to win Olympic gold medals, which again is great for the fans because we want to see all that stuff. It globalizes the game. Basketball is the fastest growing sport on planet Earth. It only makes it even more uh, appealing to, to countries outside of the U.S. because they're playing all over the planet and people are seeing just how good the NBA is. There are countries who aren't entirely familiar with the NBA and guys like even LeBron James. Maybe they know who LeBron is, similar to how we know who Ronaldo and Messi are, but we don't really pay attention to European soccer. That's how I can relate guys like LeBron, Harden uh, across the globe. But when they see those guys playing on the court, it piques the interest of other countries. It only globalizes the game of basketball and the brand of the NBA. And now, one, you know, one guy drops out and another guy drops out and then it just makes it easier for one after another to drop out and not participate in Team USA. So far, the Big name, the biggest names that have dropped out and will not participate in Team USA are James Harden, Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis, Bradley Beal, and Zion Williamson. Now, Zion Williamson is not one of the elite players uh, in the NBA by any stretch of the imagination as of right now. Uh, Can he? Will be? Sure, probably, hopefully. But as of right now, he's not one one of the, you know, upper echelon players in the league but he is a very exciting name i would love to see zion williamson on team usa catching lobs from lebron james from stephen curry i would i i want to see this so bad and we and we don't get to see it zion should be forced to play in team usa actually if i'm adam silver i'm saying you don't have a choice you will play in the fiba world cup it's very similar to when anthony davis participated in the 2012 Olympics. It was his first year um, out of Kentucky. It was after his national championship season at Kentucky. He hadn't even played a minute in the NBA, and he was on Team USA, and it was a lot of fun watching him out there. He was, I mean, a, a, a bench warmer in the truest sense of the word, coming out, I mean, just, just in garbage time. But I was excited to see him. 
I was very excited to see Anthony Davis, a young buck. I think he was only like 19 or 18 years old on Team USA. And he was getting some minutes and he was playing here and there. And it, it, was, it was tons of fun. And Zion Williamson is a much more household name than Anthony Davis was at that time in his career. So Zion Williamson would, I mean, I would love to see him on Team USA just yamming it on people's heads across the globe, but we're not getting that. Uh, those are the guys, James Harden, Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis, Bradley Beal, and Zion Williamson have all ducked out of the uh, Team USA World Cup. And it's not just them. There are a few other players, but those are the premier guys who will not be present uh, for the FIBA World Cup. It starts August 31st, so next month. We're like a full month away, or just over a full month from the FIBA World Cup starting. That's actually on a Saturday. That's when uh, week one of college football starts. I know that because... Um, I can't wait for college football. Week one, we got uh, Oregon and Auburn for college game day, but we'll get to that in a, in a few weeks. Starts August 31st, and it goes on to September 15th. Now, the NBA schedule has not officially been released as of yet, so there is no official date for the NBA tip-off, but it will be around that time in September, uh, maybe closer to October. And players have said they give their official statements. They're very politically correct. I do not want to distract my teammates. I want to be integrated with my new teammates or my new team in the case of Anthony Davis and in the case of Zion Williamson and in the case of James Harden, really, because he has Russell Westbrook now to integrate into his offense. Um, And I want to focus on my championship mission. Now, that's not a quote from one player. That's a quote from many players, actually. I want to focus on my championship mission. Um... And I just felt that was utter grade A baloney. Yeah, I know. I'm getting. Re- you can tell how angry I am. I, I used baloney today on the Crowd Noise podcast. It's ridiculous. I want to focus on my championship mission. As if we're asking them to go across the globe and sign autographs and answer questions and and do something that has nothing to do with basketball fellas we're asking you to play basketball globally with and against the best competition the world has to offer because they're going to scrimmage each other in practice so your teams are going to there's that's almost more exciting than the FIBA games and the Olympic games themselves is the team USA the red and blue scrimmages because those are the best players Um, You're going to be playing against each other. You're going to be working out with other NBA players. You're going to be playing against other professionals. Are they uh, on the same level of uh, NBA players? No, absolutely not. But you're going to be playing meaningful games. It's not an all-star game. Uh, Can you get hurt? Yes, we've seen it. However, Team USA does a fantastic job of managing minutes and managing player health. Player safety is at the top of their priorities um, as, far, as far as Team USA and Coach Popovich, Greg Popovich is the coach. Is there any coach you would trust your body to other than Greg Popovich, unless you're Kawhi Leonard? Is there any other coach in the NBA who you would trust your body with more, especially in the offseason? Greg Popovich knows what he's doing. He's not going to run anyone to the gr- in the ground in practice or in games. No one's going to play 30 minutes in a FIBA World Cup game, number one, because the games are going to be blowouts anyway, and number two, because Greg Popovich knows what he's doing. And as far as I don't want to distract my team from our championship goal, that's another load of baloney because this is basketball. It's not a distraction. It's not taking away from your development as a team. It's not hindering your ability to win championships. Don't believe me? Michael Jordan participated in the 92 Dream Team. In the middle of one of his first three-peat, from 91 to 93, Michael Jordan won NBA titles. And in between those three titles, he played in the Summer Olympics on the greatest basketball team that was ever assembled. Well, that's just Michael Jordan. I mean, he's Jordan. Whatever we need to focus, Kobe Bryant didn't. Kobe Bryant played in the 2008 Olympics after losing to the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals. Before beating the Orlando Magic in the 2009 NBA Finals. So don't tell me that playing in Team USA 
takes away from your ability to win championships. Because it doesn't. It doesn't. And if anything, this only adds to your argument of load management. Because that's a big, I guess, discussion in the NBA. Should players be allowed to take games off? Is load management a problem? This is your out right here. Well, I played three or four weeks in the summer. I need extra load management now because I played those extra minutes with, with Team USA. I need more time off now. And again, the games are competitive, but it is not Game 7 in the NBA Finals. This is not going to push your body beyond your limits. It, it, it truly isn't. And by the way, this is quite frankly unfair to the players who will be participating in the World Cup this year. Because next year in the Olympics, guess who the five players are going to be who are asking to participate on Team USA for the Olympics? So are you going to kick out five guys and Team USA even still? While this is not the strongest team that Team USA has ever had by any stretch of the imagination, they should still be the favorites and probably will win the World Cup. Are you going to kick out five guys who helped win a gold medal? For next year in the Olympics? Those are, and especially because those five guys, whoever they may be, who get kicked off are not the five best players in the league. They were reserves and alternates. They deserve an opportunity to play in the Olympics. This is not an opportunity that's going to come every single year for them. I mean, obviously, it only rolls around once every four years. And if they're not the best players to begin with, their chances of making the next Olympic team, if they didn't make this one, are not very great in the first place. So I don't think it's very fair. If these players don't play now, they should not be allowed to play in the Olympics. Because it's not fair to the guys who are making that commitment and do want to play for Team USA. And in slight defense of these guys who are dropping out, the FIBA World Cup was supposed to be last year. It's always supposed to be two years in between the Olympics. So 2020 was, is the Olympics next year. This FIBA World Cup was supposed to be last year, 2018. It was postponed to this year. It was the first time ever where the FIBA World Cup and the FIFA World Cup, where both FIBA and FIFA were not played in the same season, were not played in the same year. And they postponed it one year. I don't know why. Um, and not only did they postpone it a year, but they postponed the time. It will be played in, what did I say, August slash September rather than July or June slash July, which does kind of conflict with some NBA players because training camp does come up around that time in September, late September because uh, the season starts around October. And if you're so, but my argument to that is if you're so worried about load management, those guys aren't really going all in in training camp anyway. Are they participating? Yes. Are they trying to get better? Yes. But they're not, they're not killing themselves in training camp. Okay. It's really not that hard. I would imagine. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say it's not that hard, but I'm not, it's not so competitive that you can't do both or you can't do one or the other. Participate in Team USA. Take training camp off because you're still going to be in shape. You're in playing shape. It's not like you're sitting around doing nothing. You're playing games. You will be in shape and you start the season with your teammates. I don't think this is that big of a roadblock is the FIBA World Cup for players to bow out. I, as a fan, for one, am very disappointed. What's never disappointing, though, are trade deadlines. The MLB trade deadline is in just under a week. One, two, three, four, five, six days away is the MLB trade deadline on July 31st and we're going to go ahead and talk about the players who are on the trading block teams that are going to be uh, big buyers who are buyers who are sellers uh, this that and the other we thought a few teams a few weeks ago were going to be sellers now it looks like they may be buyers and vice versa there are teams who have gotten hot teams who have gotten cold and their role in the trade deadline has switched so we're going to be talking about that uh, the MLB trade deadline I think I would say is the most impactful I would say that has the biggest impact on this season right now, or whatever, the current season. I can't, Every single year you, you see a team that makes a huge deadline or a huge trade at the deadline, excuse me, um, to make that final push, to put them over the top and win the World Series. Now this year, there is no number one favorite, I should say. There is no dominant, truly dominant number one team. In all of baseball. The two teams who are the favorites. I would say are the Yankees and the Dodgers. But neither one of those teams are perfect. I wouldn't definitively. I mean either one of those teams. 
if I had to choose one of them to make the World Series and win it, those would be one of the two teams I would choose, but I would definitely have some cause for concern because neither of those teams are perfect, the Yankees or the Dodgers, and those are the two best teams. The Astros have problems. The Twins have cooled off. They have problems as well. The Rays, I really like, as of right now, aren't even in the playoffs. The defending World Series champions are not even in the playoffs if the season ended today. So there is a lot to be left determined. And the trade deadline makes things a lot clearer. Remember a few years ago, the Cubs went all in. They wanted to break the curse. They went all in on a roll. This Chapman gave up Gleyber Torres. Um, and they got a World Series out of it. Now, they ended up, it ended up costing them a Roldis Chapman and Gleyber Torres because the Roldis Chapman ended up leaving anyway. But they won a World Series. The trade deadline, uh, even two years ago, the Astros acquiring Justin Verlander, really the, the cog that pushed them over the top. That's what made the Astros the World Series champions uh, in 2017 was Justin Verlander, a trade acquired at the deadline. So... The trade deadline, I feel, has the biggest impact on whatever current season in the MLB. More so than the NFL, and I feel even slightly more so than the NBA. Because we don't really see teams acquire a superstar at the deadline and then run the table. We haven't seen it in a while. In my lifetime, I can't remember the last time that was the case where a team made a trade at the deadline and that just pushed them over the top and they won the whole thing. But in baseball, that is the case. You will see teams make moves at the deadline and it will put them over the top. Especially, I think, because there's so much time in between the deadline and October. We're in July now. What's going to be July 31st? You have August, September. you got two months, but there's a lot of games played in between those two months. Um, And you just see guys make a huge impact. Guys get hot and cold over the course of the season. So, here we go. First, I'm going to break down the standings. The standings in each division. At the top, we're not going to do 1-5, to 1-6, to six, whatever. We don't, we don't care about these teams at the bottom. They don't, they don't, they're not factoring into this. Well, maybe they will because they'll likely be sellers. But, but we're only going to talk about the top of the teams or the teams at the top of each division and then teams in the wild card race. Those are two very different conversations, especially for some divisions. So we're going to get started with the AL. And in the AL wild card currently... You have the Indians and the A's that are in for that last, those two last two spots in the wild card game. The Rays are one game back. Uh, the Indians have a two-game advantage over the A's. They're, they're in the wild card right now, currently two games on top of the A's. Uh, the Rays are one game back of the A's. The Red Sox are two games back. The Angels are four games back. And the Rangers, that's where I made the cutoff line right there, are six and a half games back. Uh, not impossible for them to overcome that, but it is, especially at the trade deadline, you have to make a decision if you're a GM. Can we make that, can we make up that gap? Or do we sell and punt to next year? That is a decision that they're going to have to make in Dallas, Texas. Six and a half games. In the AL West, especially, you have teams like the A's and um, the Astros, excuse me. Uh, it's, it's a tough decision to make, you know, because it's, it's a tough division. Um, in the AL East now, moving on. So those are your teams that are in the wild card. Uh, the Indians will have a big, big role to play in the trade deadline, seeing as though they're only two games back. Or excuse me, they're two games up on the AL wild card. And let's actually start with the AL Central first, because now we're talking about the Indians. The Twins are in first place, but they are only two games in first. They only have a two-game advantage over the Cleveland Indians, who have had... Nothing short of devastating injuries to their starting rotation. The Indians, when fully healthy, probably have at least the deepest starting rotation in all of baseball. Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Mike Clevenger, Carlos Carrasco. And every single one of those guys has been hurt this season. Carlos Carrasco, we're hoping for the best for him. He has leukemia. He's not coming back. Corey Kluber has been on the 60-day L for who knows how long. He made a few starts this year. He he's not coming back for a while, at least until I believe July, maybe like September, late August. He's not coming back for a while. Is Corey Kluber? Mike Clevenger was on the 60-day IL. He is back, uh, but he was hurt to begin the season. And Trevor Bauer has been the healthiest amongst the group. He has been he has been the workhorse for the Indians this season. But that's four. I mean, that's they have four workhorses on that staff. And pretty much all four of them have been hurt this year. And with all of that, the Indians are only two games back of first. So it is not in their best interest to sell and to trade 
Trevor Bauer, who is a name that comes up in trade talks just about every single year. Him, Mike Clevenger, and Carlos Carrasco just about every single season are on the trading block for the Indians. It is not in their best interest to trade away Brad Hand. So that affects teams like the Dodgers, like the Yankees, like the Braves, who need bullpen help. Well, not so much the Yankees. They have have too many reserves in the bullpen. But especially going back to the two teams who look like they're most likely to make the World Series, the Yankees and the Dodgers. You have to start planning and looking across uh, the league and seeing, playing, uh, you know, pick them basically, trying to match up with who you're potentially going to see in the World Series. And if you're the Yankees, it is in your best interest to add another left-handed reliever to combat all the left-handed power of the Los Angeles Dodgers, especially the Braves as well. I mean, they're going to see the Dodgers in the postseason. It's going to happen. They're going to play each other in the postseason. It's in their best interest to add a left-handed starter or reliever, if not both, for the Atlanta Braves. And if you're the Dodgers, you want to keep those left-handed relievers away from those other teams, So it, and they need bullpen help regardless. The Dodgers' bullpen is horrendous, so they need bullpen help it would definitely help them to get a left-handed reliever because it's someone they would not have to see in the postseason. And I don't think Brad Hand will be on the move. With how close the Indians are to not only making the, they're in the playoffs right now, but how close they are to winning their division, I don't see the Indians trading away Trevor Bauer or Brad Hand unless it is a just a, a deal they absolutely cannot refuse. Of course, there are no untradeable players in sports, not just in baseball, basketball, football. There are no untradeable players in sports every gm has his price so unless some the yankees and the dodgers give them something that absolutely blows them away and they cannot refuse i don't see trevor bauer or brad hand moving away from cleveland in fact i do think once they get back Corey kluber and mike clevenger finally he's playing but he's not quite sunshine as of yet he's not full, full strength the indians will be a force to reckon with in the al so i mean they would definitely be something to be uh, respected uh, so that's how it looks in the AL Central. The Twins definitely need to make a move. They're kind of cooling off. The Twins were like the darling team of the first half. And I truly, and we didn't talk much baseball on the podcast, so I'm not going to act like I, uh, the psychic skeet here. But I didn't feel as a fan like the Twins, this was something sustainable. They definitely need pitching um, on, in both ends, starting and, and in the bullpen. They're an offensive juggernaut. They hit 1,000 home runs in a month. But they need they need pitching. Starting pitching takes over and dominates ultimately in October. That's just the way the game works. So that's how things are shaking out in the AL Central. In the AL East, that one's, I mean, that one's almost wrapped up uh, pretty much. The Yankees have a 10-game lead on the Tampa Bay Rays. They are in first place. And behind the Rays are the Red Sox, who are 11 games back of the New York Yankees. And where are they as far as the wild card? Okay, so... Th- uh, the Rays are only a game back, and the Red Sox are only two games back of that second wild card spot behind the Oakland A's. So both of these teams, I mean, I would assume, especially more so the Rays, I feel are more inclined to make a move at the deadline. The Red Sox are flirting dangerously with the luxury tax, so it kind of, I mean, their hands are kind of tied behind their backs as far as making a huge move at the deadline. Is it impossible for them to make a trade? No, because they are so close to getting back into the postseason and potentially defend, defending their World Series title, especially because you got to think, if you're the Red Sox specifically, let's say you leapfrog the Rays and you get into that second wild card spot, you'd be traveling, let's just say for the sake of the argument, uh, to Minnesota, because it looks like, for all intents and purposes, the Indians are going to gonna jump over the Twins. You'd be traveling to Minnesota in a one-game playoff. Starter versus starter. Who are you taking? Jose Barrios or Chris Sale? Even with Chris Sale historically struggling in his career in the postseason, I would take Chris Sale in a heartbeat. Now, all of a sudden, you're in, you're in the, the divisional round. Now you're playing the Yankees, some, a team that you know and you're familiar with, a rivalry game, a team that you smacked last year in the playoffs in the same, in the same round. So I, I, I do think the Red Sox um, are not ruling out a trade at the deadline, but it is they do have to be careful because they are approaching, approaching the luxury tax, but they will make a move at the deadline. 
they're not doing nothing. They're the defending World Series champions. They're not just sitting around and missing the postseason. They will make a move at the deadline. I do think the Rays are going to be more in line for a big splash, maybe a, a bigger name player, uh, potentially a starter. They did lose Tyler Glasnow uh, for the season, but they do have, and Blake Snell just underwent. Uh, this came out today, actually, from uh, John Heyman. He might not have reported it, but that's where I saw it on Twitter. Blake Snell is going after. I'm not a doctor. He's undergoing sur- uh, surgery on his shoulder. The timetable at this point is uh, for his return is unknown, so you will need another starter. Charlie Morton has been fantastic, but you lost out of glass now for the whole season, and now you, you lose your uh, reigning AL Cy Young winner, Blake Snell. The Rays could uh, potentially look for um, some help in the starting rotation. Uh, now to the AL, where are we? West. This one, I feel, is also uh, pretty much wrapped up. Not as big of a lead as there is in the AL East, but I don't see, even with their struggles prior, I don't see this team collapsing and, and melting down with, with however much time is left in the season. The Astros are seven and a half games on top of the Oakland A's. Now, the Oakland A's, you know, historically money ball. They're never the team to make the huge move at the deadline. Um, was it last year or two years ago they acquired Uris Familia? But that, they, I mean, they they never make these Justin Verlander, right, Aroldis Chapman deals. They never bring in these superstars. Will they make a move? I'm not sure. Honestly, I am not sure because the A's are a really good team as it is. Um, but here's the question. Would the A's potentially even sell? Because honestly, even if they were to hang on and get into the wild card game, they're not beating the Yankees. They're not. And there's no guarantee even still... You, you hang on to the wild card or even win that wild card game, especially being on the road, wherever they may go, whether it's Cleveland or it is Minnesota or potentially even Tampa Bay or Boston if they were to leapfrog uh, the A's as well. They could potentially be sellers. Now, it's, it's, it's kind of, I guess, shocking to think that a team currently in the playoffs would, would kind of wrap things up and, and pack it up for, for next season. But the A's are never the team that make the huge splash at the deadline. They're, they're just not historically. So I don't, I don't see the division changing in the AL West. I don't think the, the Angels are going to turn it on and storm back and take over that division. I don't think the Astros, even though they had a kind of rough, uh, I believe it was June or early July, where they really, really struggled, I, I don't think that's going to continue into the rest of the season. The Astros will probably make a move as well just because when you're a team that that's close, you go all in on right now. Um, so I don't see the AL West changing, really. The only thing that is left to be seen is what will the A's do uh, at the trade deadline? Well, could they potentially even sell and get better and really insert themselves into a World Series conversation? Because the A's are not World Series contenders. They're not. Are they better than the Astros? No. Are they better than the Yankees? No. Are they better than the Twins as of right now? Maybe. Honestly, may, they might be better than the Twins at, at, at this very moment in time. But the Twins are very close to being a wildcard team. So, I mean, that doesn't put them over in the conversation as far as winning a World Series. Are they better than the Dodgers? No. Are they even better than the other teams in the NL? The Braves, um, the Cardinals, the Cubs? I would say probably not. So, I, I, don't, I don't see them as far as true World Series contenders. Uh, so that there is the AL. Now let's move on to the NL. We are halfway done. Uh, let's start with the NL wildcard first. Now currently there are three teams in the NL wildcard game because there is a tie in the NL Central. That division is bananas. Uh, you have the Cubs and the Cardinals tied for first in the NL Central. Either one of those teams would be the, the home team. Um, in the NL wildcard game, excuse me, the second team in that wildcard game, the road team, would be the Washington Nationals, who have really stormed uh, as of late. They got off to a really slow start. And actually, the Nationals, a few weeks ago at the earliest, were considered sellers at the trade deadline. People were talking about Max Scherzer getting moved at the trade deadline, and all of a sudden, he turned it on, and he looks like Max Scherzer all over again. He, he uh, comes back from the 10-day IL tonight. He makes his first start from the IL again tonight. It wasn't a huge injury. I think it was more of a maintenance uh, issue with Max Scherzer going down. So the Nationals are all of a sudden, while they were sellers, now are buyers, and they could be um, in the reliever market as well. 
I think everyone is in the reliever market in, in baseball today. I don't, I don't see any team, other than the Yankees, who really don't need another reliever. And even the Yankees, you'd only be strengthening the strength. It's not like it's out of the question they're not getting another reliever. It's just that their bullpen is so strong. They're the only team that if they were not to acquire a reliever, I would not have any problems with that. Um, so that's what it looks like in the NL wildcard race. Behind those three teams are uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. They're one game back of Washington. They are uh, Milwaukee is two games back. The Arizona Diamondbacks are three and a half games back. And here's the team that's throwing a wrench in uh, the trade deadline and in the wildcard race as well. Similarly to the Cleveland Indians, the San Francisco Giants. For the past month and a half, they have looked like the 27 Yankees. They have looked absolutely unstoppable. I hope to God I got the phrase right, and it's the 27 Yankees and not the 22 Yankees. I'm currently Googling it as we speak. But the San Francisco Giants have been absolutely unstoppable. They went from being one of the, I mean, downright sellers. And it is the 27 Yankees murderers row. I got that right, so one point for Steven. But the San Francisco Giants, were they were like looked at as the Baltimore Orioles. Like They are definitively blowing it up, and they are selling everyone. Madison Bumgarner, Will Smith, everyone on that team was on the table. And then July happened. And now all of a sudden, they're only three and a half games back of the wild card spot. It is unbelievable how quick and how radical of a turnaround it has been for the San Francisco Giants. They are legitimate threats to get into the postseason. And behind them, this is where I have the cutoff, the Padres, San Diego Padres at seven games back. I don't see them overcoming uh, that big hill and making the wild card. I just don't. The Padres are a good team. They're somewhat of a year ahead of schedule. They are a young team. They were never expected to make the playoffs. Um, and quite frankly, they weren't even really expected to be as good as they are now. So, I mean, it's kind of a good sign that you're even in the race if for the San Diego Padres, a bright future for the Friars. Um, so that's what it looks like. The San Francisco Giants have really thrown a wrench into a lot of people's plans, specifically the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Braves. Because as said before, all those teams are looking for left-handed pitching. The Dodgers as a defensive move, the Yankees, uh, you know, plotting to see the Dodgers in the World Series, and the Braves also plotting to see the Dodgers in the postseason much earlier than the Yankees, obviously playing in the same league. Now, here's the NL East for you. The Braves are currently in first place. They are four games up on the Nationals and five and a half games up on the Phillies. I don't see them collapsing. They added Dallas Keuchel, left-handed pitcher. They do need help in the bullpen Do the Atlanta Braves. Now, here's where things get very interesting. Will Smith is likely off the table. The Giants are right there. They're within striking distance. Is it out of the question similar to Cleveland? I think, and especially because Cleveland is in actually the race to win their division, the Giants are more likely to make a trade than the Indians. But being as close as they are, they are it does not force their hand. They do not have to make a deal if they don't want to. They can go into the postseason, try their luck in a one-game wild card, and then see, you know, look at their options into the offseason after that. So it does not... That's not a good thing for the Braves. It's not a good thing for the Dodgers because that was another team looking for some help in the bullpen, specifically left-handed pitching for both of those teams. The Braves are in first place. Nationals are four games back. The Nationals are also looking for help in the bullpen as well. Their starting rotation can compete with anybody, and they'd be a team that is very scary to see in a wild card game or an abbreviated series because of their starting pitching. You get into the wild card, you have one game, do or die, survive in advance, and you get Max Scherzer. How is that even fair? And then game two, you get Steven Strasburg, or it'd be game one of the division series. Game two would be uh, Patrick Corbin, and then Max Scherzer would likely be back for game three. So it's, it's, it's unbelievable how, what they can do. They can just pour on starting pitching. Can the Nationals, they'd be very dangerous in abbreviated series. Uh, the NL Central, now this is one where every single team is still in the mix to win. The Cubs and the Cardinals. Both tied for first place. Behind them, the Brewers only two games back of first place. Behind them, it gets a little bit uh, further back. And even still, they're very much in the race compared to other divisions. The Reds are eight games back of first place in the NL Central. And the Pirates are nine games back uh, first place in the NL Central. Do I think either of those teams will jump into first place? No. But it does make for a very competitive, competitive division and will have a huge impact clearly on the wild card race and in the most boring division in all of baseball, 
The Dodgers are running away with the division, and they're struggling. They got swept by the Angels last night, and this division is wrapped up. They're 14 and a half games up on both the Giants and the Arizona Diamondbacks. That division's all but all but over except for the singing. So who are the players that are going to be even on the trade market? And we took us, it took us 21, 21 minutes just to get here, but we finally made it. Who are the guys that are on the trade market? There are plenty of guys that are in conversations, guys that definitely will be moved, guys that may not be moved, but will be in trade talks. So here we go. Shane Green, closer for the Tigers, and he's been connected with the Dodgers. The Dodgers are the favorites to land. Shane Green, closer for the Detroit Tigers. They need all the help they can get in their bullpen. I mean, their bullpen struggles have been very well documented this season by me and everyone else. Kenley Jansen, while he is still one of the best closers in all of baseball, is not Kenley Jansen of yore. He is not the dominant Eric Gagne, Mariano Rivera, game-over type closer. He needs more help, not less help. That's a quote directly stolen from Alex Rodriguez, but he does have a point. The Dodgers bullpen has been the Achilles heel in years prior. They've lost two straight World Series, and their bullpen has been to blame in both of those years. And this year, their bullpen is even worse than those years. So if you lost the last two World Series because of your bullpen, and your bullpen is worse, you're not winning a World Series. The Dodgers will not win a World Series as currently constructed. They need not even just one more reliever. They need at least two relievers to set up Kenley Jansen and potentially even take over for Kenley Jansen. Do I think the closer role should be removed from Kenley Jansen? No. But with the way Dave Roberts likes to mix and match matchups, it's not out of the question to see Kenley Jansen coming in the game at the seventh inning and let somebody else close with potentially there's two or three left-handers uh, in the ninth inning. They could potentially bring in Will Smith. It's not out of the question, but it makes it less likely even so that Will Smith plays for their arch nemesis, the Giants. I don't think the Giants would want to help out the Dodgers win a World Series, and I don't think the Dodgers want to give any of their top prospects to the Giants. But they do need left-handed pitching in that bullpen. Uh, Marcus Stroman has been connected to the New York Yankees. They are looking for starting pitching. The Dodgers and the Yankees are like polar opposites of each other. They're like mirror images. Like if you go on one side, it's the same person but exactly opposite. That's what the Yankees and the Dodgers are to each other. The Dodgers have too much starting pitching. They have Clayton Kershaw, Hunjin Ryu, uh, excuse me, now I forget everyone, Walker Bueller, Rich Hill, Kenta Maeda, Julio Orias can start, Ross Stripling can start. They have way too, and they're all more than decent starters, especially in, in the postseason, you only need four starters, so that starting rotation is only going to get smaller. You have Walker Bueller for sure in the starting rotation in the postseason. Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Hunjin Ryu, and Rich Hill. Those are your four guys, and everyone else you move down, Kenta Maeda has made... You know, it's been consistently moved. He's been consistently moved to the bullpen these past few postseasons, so that's not a huge culture shock for him. Julio Arias has been coming out of the bullpen lately, so that's not a huge culture shock for him. But they have no bullpen help. They have, like, no dominant relievers in the bullpen currently. And the Yankees have no starting pitching and just a treasure trove of relievers. They need starting pitching badly. And they have, I mean, they can, if they have a lead in the fifth inning, the game is over. That's how dominant their bullpen has been for the Yankees. So uh, the Yankees have all kinds of right-handed power hitting. Uh, Sanchez, Judge, Stanton, LeMahieu. Now you can insert into that conversation as a power right-handed hitter. Um, they have just all this right-handed power hitting. And the Dodgers have all this left-handed power hitting. Corey Seager, Max Muncy, Cody Bellinger, Jock Peterson. They have so much left-handed power hitting. They're exact polar opposites of each other. It's very interesting. And I would love to see a World Series uh you know, between those two teams because of the differences in style of play, I guess you could say, um, as far as pitching. Uh, but Marcus Stroman has been connected with the New York Yankees. They don't view him as a number one starter, which uh, I do not as, I do not either, but he does have a 2.96 ERA, which is third best in the American League. Um, they could add more relievers, could the Yankees. They could just really pour on uh, the bullpen pitching and just have openers uh, for a few games. Luis Severino is still not back. It looks like he won't be back till the end of September. And he has said he is comfortable with coming out of the bullpen. But is, that has still remained to be seen. He has not pitched once this season. He was their number one, their go-to guy. He hasn't pitched a game this season. He's not going to be ready to start games in the postseason. Um, so they will need some starting pitching. Another guy, very interesting. Another guy who I do not think will be, or not another guy, but a guy who I do not necessarily think will be moved 
per se, but I do think you will hear his name come up in trade talk. Uh, Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard has been tied most, mostly to the Yankees and slightly to the, to the Dodgers, though not as much. Um, the Yankees and the Mets obviously hate each other, and the Mets are not in a situation where they need to either buy or sell. They're not in the wild card race, but they're also not like the Orioles or the Giants two months ago. They do not absolutely need to make a trade, um, So, but they're not completely against making a trade either. Do I think Syndergaard will be traded? No. If you put a gun to my head and say, will no, Syndergaard be traded to either the Yankees or the Dodgers? I would say probably not. Um, he would certainly help the Yankees start in rotation, though. Um, that's exactly what they need, a, a starter, uh, especially a right-handed pitcher. Um, for the New York Yankees, so that would definitely help them. And here's the guy we already talked about: Will Smith. Um, will he get moved? At this point, my opinion is unlikely. Not no, but unlikely. I don't think he will get moved because the Giants are within striking distance of making the wild card, and in a one-game playoff, anything can happen. But here's the guy who's throwing a wrench in so many people's plans: Madison Bumgarner. We haven't talked about him one time today and here and here we go we're about to talk about him. left-handed pitcher one of the greatest world series pitcher in the hit pitchers in the history of baseball 4-0 and a 0.25 era in world series appearances that's unheard of that is absolutely ridiculous now don't tell me well that was way back when the even years 2012 when was it 2012 2014 it was way back when because you know who, you, who else you were saying that about at the trade deadline? Justin Verlander. And he had nowhere near the level of success of Madison Bumgarner in the World Series. And he, like I said, he made that season into a championship year for the Houston Astros. The Astros do not even make the World Series without Justin Verlander. Madison Bumgarner, while his, his best days may be behind him as a starter, you cannot take away um, from what he's done in the postseason. And he's a left-handed pitcher. So I do think the teams that will inquire about Madison Bumgarner are obviously the New York Yankees because they do need starting pitching. He's a left-hander, so if they were to meet up with the Dodgers in the World Series, that would match up very well and take a lot of their power hitting out. The Atlanta Braves, who do need starting pitching, and he is a left-hander, so he will combat the Dodgers. And the Los Angeles Dodgers, because he is a left-handed pitcher, and they would not have to see him in the postseason. They They might acquire Madison Bumgarner and then just send them down to AAA so they don't even have to include them in their clubhouse. They just guarantee they don't see them in the postseason. Um, will I, do I think Madison Bumgarner will be moved? Yes, I do. I actually think that they will hang on to Will Smith and deal Madison Bumgarner, as ironic as that sounds. Now, they do have, um, they would keep a big strength in their bullpen in Will Smith. But think of the return. They're not going to get blue chip prospects obviously for Madison Bumgarner but they will get a very healthy return in exchange for one of the greatest World Series pitchers in the history of baseball this is something and again because teams will be desperate teams who want to win the World Series will go all in to win the World Series the Giants can really hike up the price for Madison Bumgarner and I do think there will be a price and there will be a package for Madison Bumgarner the Giants cannot refuse and will still continue to try and win, or at least get into the wild card race. And if they don't, what what's the loss? The Giants were all, this was always a rebuilding year for the Giants. Their plan was never to get into the wild card, sneak sneak into the playoffs, and then try and make a World Series run. There is only upside in, in making this trade. They're in a no lose situation right now because if they decide not to trade, well then they're going all in and trying to make the wild card, and then they would match up with their arch nemesis the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are the number one seed in the NL, um, and they would obviously, being the wild card winner, they would face the number one seeded team in the NL. You'd get a classic postseason matchup, Dodgers-Giants, and you have a chance to knock them off in the first round. Um, if they don't, if they do make that trade, you get a bunch of prospects in return and draft picks. So there's really not much to lose if you're the San Francisco Giants. I do think Madison Bumgarner will be dealt. I don't think Will Smith will be dealt because they kind of, uh, retains their flexibility as far as do we want to win this year? Do we want to win in the future? It keeps all options open for them. So there is your uh, your MLB trade de- uh, trade deadline preview, I guess you could say um, for uh, for next week. So uh, there you go. 
So some minor improvisation here for you. We are going to scratch the quote of the week for this week because we are already pretty close to a whole hour. And I had a bunch of, my fault, I went a little bit overboard on the MLB trade deadline. That's on me. Um, but this next thing, this next topic, I don't want to skip. And the quote of the week, it's fun. I like doing it. It's not a huge one. It was a Steve Kerr quote. I'll give it to you very quickly. Uh, he's talking about Anthony Davis and how he hopes it is not the future of the league where players demand trades. We're going to go ahead and get into that. But we've already talked about Anthony Davis, right? We've already talked about player mobility in the past. Um, so we're going to go ahead and scratch that. Because this will not um, age as well, I guess. Like, we can't save this for next week. Especially because we have the whole trade deadline uh, in the MLB next week. And if it took me half an hour to talk about the trade deadline rumors, imagine how long it's going to take for me to talk about the whole trade deadline. What actually happened. So this is going to close out the show. I hope you understand. I hope uh, I didn't ruin your whole week by skipping the quote of the week. I don't think it's a huge deal. Uh, here's the quote of the week, I guess. Quote, hopefully it's not a trend because it's bad for the league. Quote Steve Kerr. So there's your quote of the week. Technically, we did not even scratch it, but we're, we're moving on. Um, it's the college football segment, I guess. Um, ESPN had their, like I guess, college football. Because media day and media days are the last week was the SEC. This week was the Pac-12. Uh, there's a bunch of media days going on in college football, so college football is getting their previews going. So ESPN did a bunch of different online, I guess. Um, I guess they were kind of clickbait articles because it, it definitely worked on me because it, it's in the Crowd Noise podcast. Um, and it was, who is the best NFL football factory? And it had uh, my, and I told you it had a, um, like a college football playoff bracket or four teams. And it was, the Miami Hurricanes with the number one seed. Number four were the Ohio State Buckeyes. Number two were the USC Trojans. Number three was the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I look in the comments section. And definitively, it's not even a majority, but definitively, people were picking the U. Miami. Every comment you go look at that post, it's the U, the U, the U, Miami, the U, the U, and the U. Uh, emoji the two hands that it's supposed to be like a prayer thing but it looks like it does look like the you um and i i disagree with that so strongly that i kind of had to take a step back i had to rethink things how could everyone be so definitively wrong the question was never who is the greatest college football team ever list the year? Cause, and they didn't list players who would be on that. They didn't just say, who's the best football factory, choose a school. It was, who's the best football factory, choose a school between these rosters. And, of course, the Miami team was really, the majority of that roster was their 2001 team. Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, you know, those, I mean, those nasty, or Ray Lewis wasn't on the 2001 team. He was on the Ravens at that point, but... Those early 2000s Miami teams that were just, I mean, hellacious. And they were great teams. But that was a majority of their all-time team. And the answer to that question, who is the greatest NFL football factory? And it's really not even up for a debate. But I'm going to debate you anyway. Because you probably don't agree with me. But you're wrong. So this is where I come in. I come here to educate you. I don't come here to attack you. I come here to educate and enlighten you because you may have heard otherwise and you may believe otherwise and I just want you to know that your opinion is wrong so the answer to the question who is the greatest NFL football factory in the nation the answer is the University of Southern California it's not even up for a debate it really is not on that team they have Heisman Trophy winners they had college football Hall of Famers they had NFL Hall of Famers on that team, on that roster. So do the Miami Hurricanes. Okay, sure. Um, but the question wasn't even who would win amongst these teams. The question on the post, on the picture, was who is the greatest NFL football factory? And the answer to that question are the USC Trojans. USC has more overall NFL draft picks than any other program all time. Has more First round draft picks of any other program of all time. 
and the most number one overall draft picks of any other program of all time. And oh, by the way, USC has the most members in the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame of any other college football program in the nation. There is your answer. The USC Trojans are the best NFL football factory in the nation. It's not even up for a debate. I don't even, and if, even if you want to debate who's the greatest college football team of all time, I would argue it's not the 2000 2001 Miami Hurricanes. I, it, it's not. They were a fantastic team, but they weren't even a dynasty. In college football, that means a lot. Not only were you, are you a great team, are, were you a dynasty? Because in college, it's not like college basketball where guys play two games and they're off to the NBA. Guys play multiple years in college football. They stay at their alma mater. And a B-52 just flew by my whole recording studio. But guys stay at their program. So if a, a team is good one year, likely they're going to be great the next year as well. And Miami was not a dynasty. They lost to Ohio State in the national title. But if we're talking about who's the greatest NFL football factory, it's USC. They have the most Hall of Famers all time. Most draft picks of all time. Most number one overall draft picks of all time. Is that not the definition of who is sending the most players to the NFL? Who is sending the best quality of players of the NFL? Who is sending the most players annually into the NFL? It's USC. Year in and year out, there is a star in the league at USC. And they have another Hall of Famer on the way. His name's Troy Palomalu. He's the first ballot Hall of Famer. So they're only adding to, their, to those totals. I don't understand how you could just definitively say Miami's the greatest football factory because of one stretch in the early 2000s. And they had their stretch in the, the, the bad boys, the Catholics versus convicts era. They, but it was just two eras. It was two stretches that, weren't, that didn't even go past like five to ten years. They were really short, dynastic uh, stretches. I mean, I call them, they weren't a dynasty, but they, you get what I'm saying. They were very good at those times. USC has been consistently putting Hall of Famers and pro football, I mean, uh, you know, all pros for decades. I mean, decades. The USC has been putting guys, Mark OJ Simpson, Marcus Allen, Tony Baselli, uh, Ronnie Lott. I mean, they've been putting guys in for decades upon decades upon decades. Even now, you have guys like Juju Smith-Schuster in the NFL. You have guys like Anton, Antoine Woods for the Dallas Cowboys. You have guys like Sam Darnold who are just scratching the surface in the NFL. So the future is not only... The future is bright for players in the NFL. Adoree Jackson, another one in Tennessee, who has a very bright future as a defensive back. So don't try and tell me it's an Alabama and Ohio State. They are great college football programs. They're not even in the conversation. They're, they're really not. It really would be between USC, Miami, and Oklahoma. I would throw Oklahoma in that, in that conversation as well. In the conversation. But if we're talking about who is the best, who is your answer for the best NFL football factory, it's USC. It's really not even close. It really, really isn't. And if you say Miami, you're vouching for one team. And there were plenty of Hall of Famers on that one team. But USC has had Hall of Famers for decades now. So that is my, and I had to address that. I I, I just couldn't skip it. Because I feel so definitively right on this topic. You're talking about one. And yeah, that team had how many Hall of Famers on it? I, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Multiple Hall of Famers on that, those early 2000s Miami teams. But again, that's one team. That's one. USC has had dynasties across decades. And they've been struck. And again, we're not talking about the performance of the two programs in college football. We're talking about their ability to send players into the National Football League. So yes, USC has been a disappointment and quite frankly, embarrassing over the past five to 10 years. Of course, absolutely. I agree with you 110%. But somehow they've still managed to send great players into the NFL throughout history. Not even just through these five to 10 years, not through the last 20 years, not from the last 30 years, from the last... 50, 60, 70 years. They've sent guys into the NFL and into the Hall of Fame. And I feel so definitively right. I feel so passionate about this answer. I just couldn't wrap my head around why people would just 
could be so wrong. And so many people could be so wrong. So I could not ignore this. I had to get this in. I kicked the quote of the week out of this show just to get this point across. And I'll say it again for you. I'll spell it out real slow. USC, the University of Southern California, is the greatest NFL football factory in college football history. There's no way around it. That's going to be the end of our show this week. I hope you learned something. I really hope you learned something today. I hope I educated you. I appreciate you sticking around for this long. I apologize for skipping quote of the week, sort of, but I had to get this into the show. There was no way I was leaving this out of here. I had, I mean, there's some times when you just have to use your voice and you have to speak up because this was something I was not going to just let go. So I appreciate you guys sticking around uh, till the end of the show. That was a quick turnaround. I was, it sounded like I was angry and then, then very uh, grateful, but I am grateful. I am grateful that you guys stuck around. Uh, I am grateful that you'd um, be listening to the show every single week. I'd be more grateful if you shared with your friends and told your coworkers and and showed people, uh, you know, my my angry tyrants uh, or tirades at the end of the shows, like this one. Uh, I will talk to you next next week. It'll be a good episode too. Uh, we got uh, the MLB trade deadline. That'll be tons of fun. Uh, there will be a quote of the week next week. There was one this week, but we just ran out of time. That is my fault. I will take 100% of the blame on that one. Uh, but hey, you know, I, I had to get this uh, football factory thing in there. I, there's, there's, uh, I like being right. You guys know that. I love to be right. So if there's a topic where I can just have fun versus a topic where I can have fun and be right, uh, guess which one I'm picking. So uh, thanks for stopping by, guys. I, I really appreciate it, and I will talk to you guys next week.